G'day, Scotty. Heston. Mate, mate we're back. Welcome. 2021. Welcome back, my friend. I hope you've uh, enjoyed the sunshine. Likewise. It's been good. I was actually up in Queensland for like five weeks and you were, where were you? Pretty close to it. Northern uh, New South Wales border, just below Byron Bay. So my folks are there at Oluca. So gotcha. fantastic time to get away, spend time with the family and cut away all other thoughts. Yeah, right. Just for a little bit. I mean, you can try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. I have this like new philosophy on like even personal psychology. So bear with me. Like even here in Sydney or in the built up city, you know, you know, whether it's in your office or in your apartment, you know, the walls are only this close, you know, they're only a few feet away from your head. And so then what I reckon is like even your own, the distance between being inside your own head is only those few feet. Um, your situational awareness really creeps in and then being up in Queensland, you know, wide open spaces, driving everywhere, just having that perspective much more open, you know, opening up your peripherals. Um, it really does actually have an impact on your like daily psychology. Doesn't it? So I, I can relate, right? So when I'm living in Canberra, so I travel up and down the coast from Canberra where I'm based to Central Coast around Terrigal from where I grew up and my family's still there. And then my folks were up north, as I mentioned. And when I'm in Canberra, you mentally isolate yourself yep. to, to what it is, your cave. I call it my cave. Absolutely. You know what I mean? This is me. When I come to Sydney... It's a little bit more broad for me because I don't live here yeah, like gotcha. you. And it's a little bit like I'm seeing you or I'm seeing yep. other business partners, for example. And then when I'm on the coast, it starts to get wider and wider the more yeah. north I go. When I'm at mum and dad's, same. I'm driving because it's drive, drive, drive to everywhere. Yeah, It just seems like I've got lots to do or nothing to do. And either way, it's fine. I'm with you. And that's what it's like those sort of layers of resilience, you know, proactive resilience, reactive resilience, either way. I put it back to, you know, even in my old days in the military, you know, doing a patrol. You know, when you're out on patrol, like as in in the bush doing a patrol, you're always trying to look to see where you might potentially be getting engaged from or, you know, looking to where you're going up on that next bit of hill, checking out the terrain in case you do get um, engaged where you need to go take your cover position. Uh, and it's actually always having that, your awareness outside, and that's where sort of that resiliency layer, like the, the mental thought is all outside, you know, as opposed to focusing on, how you're feeling, if you're hurting, what's going on inside your own head. I mean, then there's the team in and amongst you as well. So again, there's these proactive layers of resilience, but more so just your situational awareness is outside of yourself. And then, like I said, I come back here and I sit inside my little Sydney apartment. I sit there going, whoa, you know, the whole world's going on outside, but it's so easy just to get it's trapped dangerous. in there. It yeah. can be dangerously depressing. It is. Right? When, you, when you've been wide open spaces and then you come back to your cave and you realise... Especially when you're self-powered, like depending yeah. on what you're doing for work now and for those military guys that have gotten out and they're not doing a lot, yep. right? And you're self-powered, it's up to you to, to write the narrative, it's up to you to find work, it's up to you to keep yourself busy yeah. and then you've got to, you know, use your energy that's not there, for example. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because some of the things when people always ask me, what do you miss since leaving the military, being out bush yeah believe it or not like there's elements people will be like and cringe and do whatever it's like no That's me included <laughs> no but you know when we've tried to break down how life is simple when you're yep. on deployment that's exactly it life is simple you have yeah. minimal things to concentrate on you're putting all your focus on those things yep. however there's not many of them and it feels amazing mate i was with you i went i went and lost myself on my dad's farm even for a few days you know atv dog rifle nothing to shoot but a few tiles and plates and stuff, but just going out and feeling like small and insignificant. And I remember back to particularly days in Afghan, you know, we get inserted onto some of the biggest bloody mountains, you know, and you're already at, what, 15,000 feet above sea level. The air's already thin as it is. 
and just being up there and feeling so small and insignificant, always feeling like a level of control that was on the mission. But, you know, just being there in this ancient land, you know, feeling tiny compared to mountains. I remember 2014, I was over there with the US and we were doing an orders briefing and the next thing, the whole earth shook like hard. And it was, I literally thought I, it felt like a tank was coming over to crush the building, but it was, a, it was an earthquake. Uh, it was the biggest earthquake I've ever been in. And all the Americans knew what to do. They quickly like, ran out of the buildings. So I had no idea. I was such a rookie Australian. And next thing, I stood there out in this open field and I literally felt like the entire tectonic plate underneath me was moving. And I watched this huge boulder and shit crumble from the mountain next to me. And it was just so... This um, is Afghanistan. Afghanistan. It was... The Afghanistan 2015, sorry. It was so amazing. And honestly, it literally... I left that experience thinking, I want to travel around the world just so I can be in a nice open plain field and try and experience as many earthquakes as I can. Feeling the whole world move and feeling completely powerless was actually so amazing. You think what, what we're talking about now is, you know, small doses of what guys go through from being on deployment and then coming back to Australia, right? That environment change of wide open spaces, for example, or just feeling insignificant compared to the size yeah. over there. And then coming back and everything's tighter once again. Absolutely. So the same environment that we've set up over our Christmas and New Year's break, which was going to our folks' place, which is a little bit more wide open spaces and the environment is there for you to wind down and think less. Yeah. Coming back to Sydney, especially your apartment in Sydney. Yeah. And everything's... Yeah. speed again it's it feels similar it feels like a mini dose of a deploy of like a deployment absolutely i mean you know on deployments there's those periods where there's you know every mission there's hyper control you know you've planned everything down to a t there's always an element that you can't you know and appreciating that that's part of tactics and and, and whatever it is given that there's an active enemy who's another person as well but there's just also savoring those beautiful moments whereby you, you just spend so much of your time controlling everything around you and then just having that time when you don't have control and it's taken out of your hands. And that's, that's actually probably the hardest part for a lot of people is going from particularly that hyper-anxiety environment on deployment whereby, you know, everything. You try and control absolutely everything because it comes down to uh, life or death type stuff. And it comes down to also, you know, you wanting to achieve your pinnacle performance being tested at, at the true extent of your, your skills as a, as a person, as a man, as, as a team member. And then coming back home and, you know, everyone else is making all these decisions and everyone else is highly influencing your environment and that, that rapid feeling of loss, loss of control. It's just big. I remember coming back on multiple deployments. That was the biggest thing, Feel, just being able to like let go. And for me, going back to my mum's place was that happy place where I go back and yeah. she knows it. She's like, let me be a mum. Yeah. Let me do your washing. Let me make your food. It was just so beautiful having some of those decisions made for you Absolutely. and just having to release and let go. Do you think responsibility is a big thing that props you up as well? So I know for a fact when we're overseas, we have a huge amount of responsibility. Yeah. And as you go up ranks, yep. you would you could say that you have more responsibility because you have men underneath you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, same when you go, we're business owners, we're both business owners, we both run brands. Yep. And then you go away and there's less responsibility because of you, you've chosen to have a – I know before we went away, we talked about – Let's use this period away to wind down a touch, to do uh -huh. whatever. So I've got two things. Do you think responsibility is a huge weight for guys and girls who have left the ADF, for example, who haven't realised what they're holding up as a responsible yeah. topic? You know? I mean, that's a, that's a huge part. When we talk about loss of purpose, for me, it was like a loss of responsibility. You know, yeah. when I end up leaving as a, as a major, you know, particularly as a platoon commander was my highlight, but my last job was responsible for the training wing at SFTC, running selection, and, you know, having a team that you were responsible for and there's great, you know, pride in that. It's almost like 
not parental, but I say more so like an uncle, you know, actually have this ability to influence and support them um, and help the team collectively do that. And, you know, and the buck stops with you. And it really motivated me to be my best when then transitioning out of that for no responsibility apart from myself, that's when I actually failed, you know, because my accountability was also linked to my responsibility. Because And I just, throughout the progression of my time in defence, let my self-discipline go without having that responsibility as my accountability as well. Well, how well do you think like feelings of depression, right? You might be sad, you might be feeling depressed, are linked to responsibility. So uh, to shed a bit of light where that question's come from, being mm. trying to run my own businesses since leaving the military, you end up building responsibility around you, especially when your team grows yep. and or if your specific product for your business, there's responsibility with keeping that product going for people. Yep. You know, even social media, if people are getting something out of it and you just stop, yeah. there's a huge sense of responsibility that you've just dropped yep. right, for people. So how much do you think it's connected to when you're feeling low and depressed that you want to drop responsibility and vice versa, having responsibility can pick you back up? Yeah, yeah. The relationship think, between the two. Yeah, particularly for me, having responsibility to others really helps keep me on the straight and narrow. Whereas just having responsibility to things like a business or a brand or products is potentially like the worst for me because one, it's still measurable, but two, it sort of puts me into a place where I could potentially, you know, self-sabotage, you know. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've definitely over the last year or so gone through these phases where, you know, you know there's deadlines there and the, and the old me would have been crushing those deadlines and expending every effort, but the the newer me, the, the, the slipping down in their mental fitness me was waiting for those deadlines to only be in the last minute, therefore they'd only take a minute and wasn't really giving it my full effort. And then you get to that state whereby you know you're not achieving your best and it actually just continues to spiral into this depressive state of why am I not being my best? Why, what's the issues going on with me? And then just perpetuating that at those activities. So I don't know, man. Uh, it's something that I'm... It's, it's a juggle, isn't it? And it is. that's why I know that's a tricky question. Yeah. I know, man, I threw, threw you under the bus there with that, but I know for a reason, I know, well, I know for it's, a it's a huge thing because I know for myself, you know, even just recently with the whole Voices of Etching cut through and next thing, you know, hundreds and thousands of emails and messages, like all of a sudden have taken on like huge responsibility to really be able to service our community the best and it's brought me back up to where I need to be because I'm accountable to others. But again, when there's those quiet moments you know yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and that's that's I, mean, I think it's just actually appreciating that you know that's the way i've been programmed and um to always look for that purpose what's insane though is when you are in the best mental health right when you're feeling not just good but confident yeah. you've been doing good for a while and now yep. you've been doing good you feel as though you have the desire to share that good yeah then you start to to become a coach or you start to help and you start yeah, to mentoring. reach out yep. and you search for more responsibility. You're yeah. actually hunting for more yeah, absolutely. responsibility. Seek and accept responsibility. You do. Yeah, and then at the same time, that same responsibility in a different light can crush you. Yeah. Because when I've seen people and I've done it myself, when unexpectedly your mental health has been dropping, you've been looking to cut away those responsibilities as much as possible. Yeah. I think as a protective mechanism, that's what it felt yeah. like, in order to get space and time yeah. to re-zero and like get yourself back from a negative to a positive yeah. and then trying to pick up the pieces. Unfortunately, as a business owner and in relationships, yeah. that is damaging beyond repair. Yeah. It's a funny one. Eh? I've always had people like trying to look out for me and say, you know, mate, are you overcommitted that you're doing all this? And it's like, you know, I can safely say that I've never truly pushed myself to the full limits of my full capability. You know, even in service, 
uh, even in the last you know few months it's uh, it's fun to push yourself you know you definitely need to become more aware and build people around you that are going to help you maintain yourself but you know the people out there are like oh you know be careful paces i'm like i'm like i'm sorry i'm gonna throw it the other way i'm like get out there and get amongst it you know if you don't push yourself to failure or close enough to it how are you going to know your true limits and you know this is what we do all of our training exercises during the military and a lot of those come down to physical and mental health, but not so much emotional health side of the house. And it's that emotional health that is really where guys like you and I, outside of service, actually often have to push ourselves to figure out where our limits mm. for that are because we haven't been tested in our previous service and we're pretty mammoth on our ability to take physical and mental pain. But where it hits that emotional barrier, that's where we actually fail the most, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... I'm setting this up because um, I know that you and me are pretty pretty aware. We're two guys that are aware of... Trying to be. Trying to be. Yep. Trying our best to be aware of these things. Mm. Um, we're very open to, to everything, really. So yeah, when right. you went away, yep. what were you focused on? Uh, so, I mean, mate, I was, I was here in Sydney looking forward to finally getting up to uh, spend Christmas with mum and Brizzy when all of a sudden the little spike happened. So we did the quick puppy exfil via land and I exfilled via air and got up there and it was I finally managed to get over to Perth spend a few days with some of the families of those that have been caught up in this inquiry um got to engage with the veteran community in Brizzy uh Sunny Coast Gold Coast even up to Townsville and I just really wanted to uh, make sure that you know not planning in isolation is planning to fail I want to get out there and really ground truth a lot of what we were getting on the messages a lot of the conversations are just really trying to get on the ground and see what the, the feeling and the culture and the sentiment was like from the guys and girls who are currently serving or have been recently serving or uh, within that high risk bracket, you know, that under 35 recently discharged from the uh, military system. And it was just fascinating getting out there. And well, I saw you nail that. But what about you personally? Oh, me per- Yeah. Uh, what were you focused on? Because like you've picked up a new role within Voice of a Veteran. It's not that yeah. old. You've picked up you know, a wave of energy and all sorts of things. When you went away, I know you were yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's like letting the, like, yeah, time yeah. to chill a bit. But in our most chilled state, we're, we're most dangerous, as in proactive, well, we're hungry. Yeah. But I want to know what you were focused on. Well, that was, so Christmas, New Year's, got up there like the week before Christmas, and I set myself the task. I mean, Christmas, New Year's period is quiet anyway, and I just completely unplugged. Um, you know, I just literally chilled out at mum's, um, had... Sister and copper there, you know, just ate food, laid in the sun. Mate, I even read like two books. I haven't, did, I haven't read books in like. Did you go away years. stressed, or did you go? You you went away pretty. What where do you reckon you're at? Out of, out of a hundred, you know, hundred being awesome, zero being completely. Nah, I was definitely tired. Like you know, everything yeah. from my, my body shape is like the first thing to my training, losing focus in my training. Um, but I think the key thing was I knew this was coming up as well. So I was sort of pushing myself to limits prior, knowing that I was going to have this respite. And, you know, I definitely was very happy with myself in committing to that respite. Um, yeah, and many thanks to my, my mother, my, my house nurse, for helping me out with that as well. But <laughs> Mate, I had the same thing. I have, yeah. to, have to shout out and thank my mum my and my sister. And when I was away, that's what yeah. I had as well. They were doing their usual routine, but adding my clothes into the wash, yeah, how good cooking dinner, doing everything, and it was amazing. Like, it was absolutely amazing. Well, it's funny because before I went, I had my last uh, I had my last session with my psychologist, and she's like, look, what are you going to do over the break? I said, I'm getting up to mum's 
She's like, okay, you need to let your mother be a mother. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, you need to let her like do things for you. Because I'm like, yeah, well, my love language is acts of service. I like doing things for others. I don't really like people doing it for me. She's like, Hester, she was funny. My psych's like this five foot four South African lady. She's like, Hester, let your mother do what a mother does. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. And she was right. You know, just yeah. again, letting go of some of that control, you know, particularly how hyper we were and how light on the ground we were when we first launched. You know, everything was very hands-on, every single detail. So being able to relax and recover and do that. But it definitely took a, a, a preliminary or at least a, um, a planning phase for me to get that in my head and set those conditions before being able to just easily jump into it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a different version. Or I had that same version, but I had another element to mine, which was allowing myself to go to the beach every yeah, day, right? Awesome. So my sister, my brother-in-law, and my two little nieces were up there at the same time as my mum and dad yep. and myself and Jenna. So we were a full house in there, yeah. right? And every day they were going to the gym, right? Yeah. And to, to allow myself to, you know, relax and enjoy that moment and actually go to the gym, yeah. uh, go, to the, go to the beach, see, yeah. snorkeling to the gym, really? go to the beach yep. and lay down and swim and sunbake and just chill out when I got back and the boys would sit down dad and, and Gareth would sit down and put their legs out and watch some cricket because it was cricket season right everything's on and I was able to put out my laptop and I was far more productive yeah. in that environment letting myself have a half a day of leisurely activities and another end of the day half day of computer work yep. in comparison to being home in my Canberra environment for example working all day yeah I hear you and it's just you know, because how, how, I don't know how much you work per day, but like gunning for five or six hours in a row, you can get a lot done yep. if you're zeroed in, you're focused, your energy is on point. So yeah. I was bringing home some kick-ass lessons on how to, because in that moment was also being healthy, keeping my mind and my body physically fit because I was swimming and yeah. I was doing certain things, which is also important. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just sort of even breaking up your day. I mean, that's what I try and do now with the whole work from home life, you know, I'll just have those periods where I'm crushing work, but then I'll go work out, I'll go take the dog for a walk, just breaking up your day to yeah. make it feel a lot more healthy as opposed to just being locked into trying to be productive because, um, you know, that doesn't work. How's the knee? The knee's well. So that was uh, definitely a huge... I couldn't escape that focus either by being away. Um, my yeah. knee's, I think it's 15 weeks now post-surgery. Yeah. Um, and I've got pretty much, I wouldn't say full range, but like... I can't think of anything that I'm doing at the moment where it actually lets me know that the flexibility isn't there. I've got full range in that sense. Yeah. Um, I'm not pulling my leg back to my ass by any chance. Like I'm not doing a full quad stretch yet, but I'm not far off. Where I'm lacking now is strength. And as we know, that's the, the long period of, uh, of rehab is now just I'm forcing myself to do everything. I think where most people avoid a little bit of pain, but avoid doing things. See, I know better than anyone that doing what you repeatedly do is what change makes change right so mm -hmm. walking up and down stairs you've had this surgery before right yep. going downstairs making an oh. effort not to worry about how long it takes me or who's behind me and how long it takes me to get down the stairs but to use the injured leg yeah. or hanging onto the rail and going through that bending motion down the stairs instead of walking down with a straight leg yep. over time walking up and down up and down up and down stairs at home and at shops and different things i'm getting there quick very quick 
effective over efficient. I like it. Yeah. Taking exactly. your time. So Very I'm good. just taking my time, but making sure that I'm using it and telling yeah. it that it needs to come back. And so mentally your mindset is always planning the next phase forward. Yeah. yeah. So you're so always sort of seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. I set up um, knowing that I could get on a bike. Yeah. So I've fully decked out mountain and road bike and just that was that vision ahead going, well, this is going to be me for a while. I'm not going to be running yep. for a long time. Impact, plyometrics, it's all out. It's yeah. just going to be strength work and pretty much becoming a king of the road. So that was that's where nice, I Nice, is into it. Good <laughs> drills, good yeah. drills. So did you get caught up in any of this COVID craziness over the break? Um, I was watching and monitoring and having <laughs> a plan of action ready. That's what I was doing. So we went up north. I spoke to you immediately. You you shot up north Bolton, to yeah. make sure that you could get there. You were crossing borders. I wasn't. Yeah, um, I, gotcha. I was staying within New South Wales. However... ACT, mate. ACT Yeah, well, you know what I'm trying to say. I do. So um, Wollongong, Sydney, and Central Coast were the hot spots at that time. So I just went around that all the way up to northern New South Wales, stayed there, and then was up there, happy to be there for three to four weeks just watching to see what was happening. And we ended up spending a solid three weeks, which is fantastic for the mind. I'm so mad about it. (laughs) I mean, so when we saw that Christmas, New Year's, spike and borders closed craziness i mean mate the simple fact that we are still landing international flights into sydney and hotel quarantining them in the city like our most dense population city you know as you and i know mate you know there's whenever you plan and however well you plan you can never remove human error so what you try and do is mitigate it and the simple fact of i don't know even like a tactic of hey we're coming up to where the busiest busiest christmas and new year period where like any impact to borders will probably have the most devastating impact on the mental and emotional health of people particularly given how much we've been unable to do this for the year you know millions of people were impacted by that border lockdown because again we continue to hotel quarantine people in sydney you've heard my crazy tactics in the first flights that came in from wuhan mate we put them on christmas island um, you know, you know, this bloody all these cruise ships that are sitting around the world doing nothing. Let's go hire one and let's go hire two of them and go have them floating off Christmas Island and have people like isolating on those single point of entry, <laughs> single point of isolation. Even up in Darwin, mate, we got the three three thousand five hundred men camp up there. We got the army barracks up there. Single point of entry, single point of isolation. You know, we got defence. Even my time up in Brisbane, I engage with all these army guys that have spent the last year. Manning borders, manning hotel quarantine across the country, and they're done, mate. Yeah. Our, our frontline infantry guys, you know, are, are done. You know, so many of the regular teams are, are done. You know, they're now going and doing what we do best and finally getting our medical staff processed through and looking at their own discharges. But we have literally overstretched our country in the most inefficient way to combat this virus in the most patch meal physical way as opposed to controlling a federal border and having one single point of entry. should definitely clear that up too because I know that the guys have nothing um, against doing service. They love serving their country. It's the organisation, it's the methods in which it's conducted, right? Right, that's it. Sorry, they have really love them so, you know they've gone from everything from supporting bushfires to yep. supporting yep. covid Killing it. to being pulled in every ways now we're back to bushfires and there just becomes that point in time particularly mate when most of them are smart if not smarter than you and i sitting there going why are we still doing this yeah how many yeah, yeah. times do we have to reinforce failure yeah you know but this is no longer a conversation on physical and biosecurity we're starting to talk financial to you know at the same time we're talking about having bloody cricket matches down in sydney and you you spoke to a lot of them and there's there is a big number looking to get out is that right mate there's too many there's far too many i was saying to you i'm going to pop back up to 
Queensland later, but I'll keep that under wraps for the time being. But there's so many at the moment that, and that goes back to that general sentiment across the Defence Force at the moment, where there's just this really loss of purpose is starting to creep in during service. And I don't say that in general. You know, there was definitely a, a, a large component of the people that I met with, which is still a tiny component of those who are currently serving. But just as far as a, a ratio of statistics, it was so incredible to meet with these people who were pretty enraged with what was going on at the moment, you know, where they saw um, failures in our senior leadership. You know, I don't want to keep harping on about the Burton report and all that, but literally them talking to me at the ground level of how disappointed they were watching, you know, our senior general stand up and basically just accept uh, that crimes have been committed without any actual investigation conducted or charges laid through to just the way in which there'd been that clamp down on everything from social media and just the general vibe and culture flowing through defence at the moment. And then also sitting there and watching so many of these decisions that are being made that we're seeing their deployment and inefficient use and even impacting on their families throughout the country. You know, I sat with one young um, guy up in Townsville and, you know, he was just a, a great young bush soldier. I think he's about 24 years old. You can see he was like even just nervous trying to talk, but just seeing the emotion, you know, when you just see the emotion in someone's eyes when they're talking to you, you know, he was like, mate, we just want to speak up. You know, we've had enough of what's going on. We really want to find a way to be able to speak up but we can't do it without compromising what we're doing in our in our mm. job in our work and Hierarchy. it was fascinating for me really reconnecting with a lot of those particularly current serving people who were still alive and well within that culture that was again that place where you and I connect with as being at our greatest levels of personal professional performance and starting to see during those pinnacle times in their career all these um, little cracks starting to show from where the outside culture was now crossing in to that on the inside. You know, we, we were never deployed back home, mm. you know, apart from doing no. domestic counterterrorism stuff, you know, but even then you're still very, like, isolated, on focus, still very apex-type stuff. These guys have, for the first time, really been fully integrated yep. into regular society, and they're really now rubbing up against so many things that we never I had think to. that's a, a valid point, man, to <coughs> get some clarity onto those who don't know, like, rotation within a special forces unit yeah you're always busy you're always keeping up those extra um qualifications that you have yep. you have specific rotation roles like whether you're doing domestic counterterrorism, whether you're getting ready for a deployment you're on deployment etc yeah so yeah you can keep yourself mentally yeah. busy active hungry well, you're in a bubble green. you're in a bubble yeah yep. you're definitely versus fine. the wider army for example who are being used and doing an amazing job of supporting the country and everything that's going down as you mentioned, so they're, no longer the for, they're not the force of last resort; they're the force of first resort. You know, even guys going up to Fiji lately just to help out with the natural disaster up there. There, it's incredible seeing again the value our defence force is showing to our own people at home. But at the same time, there's there, there's his own unique issues that go with that, and there's his own unique um, requirements that a lot of these guys and girls I'm talking to are really starting to feel the the friction and the wear and tear of those after nearly over a year of doing that. Solution. Mate, it's just, well, look, this is where we go to this much larger picture at the moment, you know. To summarise sort of campaigning from here, um, I got to spend a fair bit of time with some politicians around the country, um, travel up to Townsville um, with Lambie, Jackie, Senator Jackie Lambie, and really have a sit and look at all the stuff she's trying to deal with and Royal Commission, DVA, you know, all these things that are sort of at that top level that are probably going to come down to being election topics. But for me, mate, it's cultural change is needed, um, 
cultural change is needed at the top and at the bottom. Yeah, culture comes from the top and from the bottom up. And cultural change at the top, again, you know, until we see our Chief of Defence Force apologise for coming out so boldly and saying that he was going to strip honours and awards without charges, and the way he conducted himself as our senior leader in front of the Australian people, this is the biggest thing. He'd have more respect right now if he literally said, hey, I was wrong. You know, I acted off information that I thought was, you know, much more resolute in my ability to do what I did uh, since, you know, we're all, we're all human. Mm. You'd have more respect said, hey, I've since done wrong and I apologise for the way in which I came out so hard. Instead, all we see is political games and, you know, now there's a back step, now government stood in. It's all saving face as opposed to, hey, I was wrong. And until we see accountability at the top, you know, people aren't going to have that senior leadership to look up to and resonate with that leadership by example. So that's in the hands of the government. In our hands, mate, is cultural change from the bottom up. And cultural change for the bottom up is every single person, be those veterans, be those Australians, seeing what they can do within their own bubble, within their own um, access, within their own abilities to do what needs to be done and help starting to focus on um, what problems they can solve at their level and how they can go about supporting and influencing those around them to start doing what needs to be done. You know, that's as very simple as like us, you know, speaking out and so many guys, you know, I was walking around Buddy Chermside at Brizzy and having guys coming up with their young families and stopping me saying, hey, just thank you so much for speaking out. We would really like to be speaking out on this stuff, but we can't, we're currently serving and all that. And just seeing and feeling the hope that that gave them and the relevance that gave them, feeling that people had their backs, you know, we can all do that. It doesn't have to be on social media. It doesn't have to be on media. It just has to be connecting with well, each I think, other. I think well done on going and um, setting something up for those to come and meet, greet and chat. Yeah. I think that was really good. So the more of that, that's obviously a, a, um, a sustain. Mate, Moving that's forward is let's get more groups, more chats, more voices being heard yeah. through different, you well, know, passed up the chain of command. You know, yeah, well, got to engage with so many uh, veteran groups. You know, up in Townsville, mate, engage with the Vietnam Veteran Motorcycle Group who are now changing themselves to just the Veteran Motorcycle Group and that was such a fascinating ESO ex-service organisation to connect with because they get together every Friday afternoon at their clubhouse and have some beers and have some chats and I was it's current and former serving guys and it's simple fact that even the Vietnam veterans are turning over just being veterans and more inclusive was fantastic but just seeing that their focus was actually on their people and their culture you know I asked them how do you uh, fundraise in order to, you know, pay for your clubhouse, stuff like that. It's like, well, we get the rent check in for the clubhouse and we divide it amongst each of our members and we each pay our own way. I was like, wow. It's like, well, how do you fundraise for yourselves? It's like, no, like we'll go on rides and fundraise for the local kids' calls or the local this, you know. They're really true in the line that their purpose is there, yeah. each other, and then they recognise that value in giving back. And there's another couple of groups that I engage with whose pure focus was not, revenue raising their pure focus was on veterans and watching that the simple mechanism of getting guys and girls together to set the conditions whereby it might not be on the first occasion and it's just social interactions where they might have a drink have some food but you start to build that trust whereby then all of a sudden we start having those same conversations that we had back in the lines in the cages in pt at the gym you start having those bitching and whinging sessions but you start either talking and helping yourself to better understand your own problems or speaking with people who can actually help you solve your own problems. Yeah, yeah it sounds like self-help. We had That's a it. conversation before about, you know, the victim mentality and too many people on all levels having that victim mentality waiting for someone to do something for them yeah. rather than doing the self-help thing. And we're talking about groups as well. I think 
you know, veterans speaking, and not even veterans, sorry, military guys being able to speak out to you and say, hey, we need a voice, but maybe it's some of that self-help within their own units well, being is, able to chat and go, okay, we need to sort this out. This is this mental fitness, you know, again, a big part, you know, I've, I've been travelling around giving this presentation on my own personal journey from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and being able to backtrack and look back through the mechanisms that got me to both places and mitigations and, and factors I need to put in place to, or can pass on to others to help. And a big part of that was talking about, you know, this, I just call it like mental fitness, you know, the culture and defence, you know, I never felt stress, never felt any form of mental health issues. That's because we were always conversing with people who, one, had a common understanding of who we are and what we did and understood and connected with the topics we were talking about. And you're always in like a free and safe place to do it, you know. Going to the psych was simply a post-operation screening type thing, you know, it never really had that impact. Whereas these days when we're out, particularly when we go through that mechanism of, one, transitioning into the regular culture and society uh, and as a part of that, isolating ourselves from our previous work. Because the biggest thing is that, as you know, in the military system, the big wheels keep on turning. And... You know, I don't even know half of the equipment and half of the everything else that's going on at the moment inside the unit. And, you know, when you start to feel more and more relevant, you detach more and more from that. And as you become more and more isolated, you're not having these regular conversations with people who understand the context of the content you're saying. And then we save it up for mental health sessions with our psychologists and psychiatrists. And they don't know the full context as well. They're trying to learn it, you know, one hour a week type stuff. And yeah. we're just saving all this up. And then all of a sudden when you get to meet with some of these veteran groups... And they finally have the chance to fully unload everything that they've been holding on to them. You spend 45 minutes there hearing their story and feeling for it, but then you're like, mate, how can I help you? Yeah, well, me sitting in this seat, I didn't go with you. I wasn't there for the chats. And I can tell you, yeah. I don't feel as though I know what you know. Mm. Even though you're communicating to me and you've opened that channel up, yeah. you were there yeah. talking to them. So. I think even that is something that needs to be thought of and possibly addressed is like yeah. you you speaking out and having a voice and getting the people who need to hear it, they're hearing it, but then they don't understand it completely because they weren't there. Yeah, It's also getting those, I think, getting more of those other elements to these groups as well to hear it firsthand yeah. that you've initiated though. You've brought the group together, you bring the person in, not just yourself because yeah. I don't fully get the whole picture that you got speaking yeah. and seeing that uh, emotion in his eyes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get any of that. I think first and foremost though, and this is the big message I'm going to be pushing back to the veteran community is that we need to put so much back on ourselves. And a big part of the presentation I give is actually backtracking through whereby during my transition process, dealing with DVA and everything else in between, led me to a place where I felt so devalued personally because, you know, everything from a box ticking exercise through to not needing a psych screening through to taking 18 months to get my knee recognised. You know, it led you to this place whereby you had to, in order to get things accelerated, you know, really start to turn up the dial on um, how much you needed help, how much you were hurting, you know. And it actually starts playing in your own head for the first time admitting to these... Admitting is yeah, huge. Yeah, admitting to these the weaknesses and actually sort of gets inside your own head. And then even backtracking through the point whereby somewhere along that line, because I literally... DVA is the first time in solving these problems so I never actually figured out how to solve the problem myself. I literally had yep. to wait for someone else to solve it. And all throughout my career, I pride myself on being able to be manoeuvrous and solve any problem anywhere, anytime and have the team and the people to support me in doing that. You know, if I didn't know, there was someone in my team who knew how to. But for the first time when I got to that place where I literally had to capitulate that, right, I'm going to have to wait 10, 12 months for this claim to get through, 
again, it just started to perpetuate this behavior and really open up this crack that was appearing whereby I just started to continuously offload my problem solving to others and just start blaming and just start becoming disgruntled by it. And it led me to a place where I just sat on receive, being reactive as opposed to getting out there with my hunter-killer stance and being proactive, looking for solutions, looking for targets. And the more and more I meet with veteran groups and individuals, and they all have these stories, and we all have stories, the key questions I'm now saying to them is like, hey, like your story is so unique. Your story is experience that we cannot change, but your story does not define you. It's like, what does that story now provide you with? What is your responsibility now? What are your skills now? And half of it is, mate, if you get out there and converse with another veteran, they're probably going through something similar to you and they're going to be able to simply get little bits and pieces from you sharing your story with them that's going to help them here and now get resolution at the lowest level. And what keeps happening is we keep saving it up and thinking that the only people who can change this are the politicians or the secretaries of departments that we meet with, you know, and they are so overwhelmed with 100,000 of these stories and I watch, I watch people like Jackie Lambie working, you know, through the night and it literally tears at them emotionally. But it's sort of also then like, hey, you know, ma'am, you, you don't need to deal with this because this can be dealt with at our level and I'll work with the veterans on that. But like yeah. stuff we need at you at your level, we need to task, prioritise and allocate uh, our work because talk, there's so much that needs to be done. You talk about those, those stories um, and there's a few good guys out in out in the market i should say now like goggins for example yeah um who it's, it's about using those stories to your advantage yeah. not as a handbrake right so those people and those guys in which we know all have these stories they seem to have no punch until you do something great and that yeah. something great is a personal great but it's a choice for them to go out and do something right because it wasn't that you know for example i'm going to use it because most people know what i'm talking about it wasn't about that Goggins finished, you know, three Navy SEAL selections or he's run all these miles. They are great things. It was the fact that his, his story pre those, that's what makes it great. Like he came from a household that was rough. He came, he had all these issues within life coming up to these moments and then did something great. And I've talked to so many guys about it to give them motivation yeah. and inspiration to do the same thing because they've all got wow-wow stories. Everyone's got them. Yeah. But then going and doing something for themselves and getting that huge tick in the box moment for themselves sort of completes those stories. It becomes a weapon rather than an anchor. Well, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm always like, this is the biggest thing I actually really hate in current society is all these labels we put on ourselves and each other based on things like we were born with, you know, be they race, be they sex, be they anything else in between. Like I'm all about, you know, that daily renewable contract I love back in the selection days, you know, you, you, you may earn your beret, but you've got to, um, you're responsible for it each and every day. And that comes down to a daily renewable contract. And I come from this ignorance in defence whereby, you know, you turn up, whoever turns up that day and puts in their effort, you're assessed on your competence and your character. You know, how you do what you do and the results you get together in doing so. And that's culture each and every day. I keep coming across people, even in the veteran community, I've had some good chats with them who come into the narrative with their story as entitlement. Mm. This is where I have been from. It's like, mate, you know, you have my absolute respect. What do you do with that? You know, never come to me with entitlement. Come to me with responsibility. I have this story. I'm responsible to make sure that those who should be doing their job are held accountable. I'm responsible to make sure that I demonstrate and lead by example each and every single day. I had a fantastic chat with a bunch of ESOs up in Townsville and, uh, you know, I don't want to... I'll catch my breath here before I... um, 
you know, there are some very large establishments within our veteran community who have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, who have been around for decades, who have the infrastructure and the capabilities to be leading our community right now. But their purpose has gone awry. Their purpose is not solely focused on veterans. It is so token. It's not funny. And I got to see that firsthand. And there are some individuals within those organisations that are fantastic. And you know what? The biggest things that missing in the veteran space is actually surveying veterans to ask them who they're engaging with and what they're doing. Because so many of these big cats are just providing their own self-assessments up for grants and everything else in between. But the amount of them that I went to and, you know, straight away they're coming at you with authority. They come at you with like, you know, we are us and you're approaching us, you know, with entitlement. It's like, hey man, we are all veterans here. We are in the middle of a mental health crisis. There is so much more going on as far as like cultural disruptions to our community. How do we work together to solve this, you know? And just, I don't know how we as a community have allowed some of these organisations and establishments to get to these places whereby there's just this segregation and, and, I don't know, colonisation of power and entitlement and, you know, authentic purpose, supporting veterans, doing what needs to be done. It's because it's filled with individuals and as humans, like on that level, individuals still don't know how they operate. Like what is ego, right? Is ego, like comparison is a form of ego and people want to get out there and compare their history and say my history is worse than your history that's ego, mate. That's something that shouldn't Comparison, even be in the picture. Good. Comparison's horrible. Press the reset button. We all have a story. Yeah, we need we level. need to be able to get that story out. It's important for us to share and find those people that you can, but do not enter into any new conversations with that story either as a burden to you or as an entitlement. Carry it forward as your scar. Carry it forward as your shield. Carry it forward as your limp, yep. but put it to use, you know? Yep. When the horde's coming over the hill, you know, we need to put all that beside. We need to bind together and we need to put our best foot forward in a daily renewable way. Yep. And that's what I really want to and, and going to try and do. My, my focus for this next, you know, leading an Anzac Day, mate, is uniting our community to not be burdened by our past, yep. you know, to acknowledge where we have come from, but to put it to use together. And, mate, yep. the, the, the attitude is out there. The, the boys... And girls are, are ready to go. We just need to, to bring it all together, yeah, eh? In there for the underdog, mate. I love that whole mentality. If there is ego and if there's comparison and if there's all these elements happening in the leadership, how can it ever be a positive thing going backwards to help where the guys are coming from? So what about, let's go back to the self-help. Yeah. Let's go back to the boys helping the boys. Mate. Let's get back to us grouping together and making change. Culture from the planning. ground up. Like, we've got to do it, man. Culture from the ground up. I'm going to spend... As much time as I can, um, engaging with DVR, I've got a couple of meetings coming up the next months, and engaging with some of those key large ESOs to just have conversations like, hey, like, what's your purpose? You know, from what I see on the ground, from thank you to all the veterans who get on and complete our ESO survey, you know, this is how many veterans are engaging with you, and this is their current sentiment, and this is how much money you've got from government, and just start providing some of these statistics to, nice. to DVA and those. Just We need to bring together the veteran community, and it doesn't need to be anything more than being able to come together, share our voices on all veteran opinions and be able to provide cut through to government, to ESO, to whatever is required to action. People need to feel identity to a central community again. So that's going to be the body of work and hopefully, you know, I'm putting a lot of eggs in one basket with Anzac Day this year. We need to come together as a community and celebrate that spirit that, you know, saw us come together and achieve our individual and collective greatness. And that's going to be the, the plan over the next couple of months. And also, team, what is also the plan... Um, 
COVID as it starts to disappear or I guess more or less restrictions <laughs> are out there. Yeah. Events, mate, events, you know, and I call them events, but it's just gatherings, yeah. you know, key things that are coming up. So stand by, guys. Keep your ear to the ground and uh, keep listening into what, what we're saying in our posts going out there for Voice of Veteran because as things come, this is where we need you to, to yeah. make the effort to travel to get in there and become... And there's been, one of the people. There's been so many reaching out. You know, we've been travelling yeah. around to a few RSLs and clubs and doing this um, presentation. If there's any um, veterans or ESOs out there in the community that want to uh, try and put together a, a Veteran Connect session, that's what we call it. You know, yeah. it's, it's literally a, a you know a sit down meal, some drinks. Try and not just have it all being bloody alcohol and stuff, but just creating the space. And it's not for the first week. It needs to be like the second week or the third week bringing people together to connect physically in the veteran community. Because nine times out of ten, you know, we finish these events, it might be a presentation and then just a chin wag in chin groups in the end. Yeah. And it's just someone's like, oh, hey, I didn't know, like, you lived around the block. Yeah, our kids go to school together. I didn't even realise this. You know, and straight away you've got a, you've got a battle buddy and you've got yeah, someone man. who is helping you. And I sit there and I listen to them and go, oh, you know, I've been dealing with this. Oh, no, mate, don't go to this guy. I've got my advocate over here to help you out with. And, you know, we've actually got this and this. Straight away, there's someone out there holding help solving your problems. And that's when we're in the unit, when we're in anywhere in the military, mate, the, the basic fundamentals are we're always in a team. Yeah. And why we think we're going to be operating independently, external to that. And it's not about, you know, needing support. It's about being better at everything. It's better when you're in a team. So anyone who wants to just get together and host, like it... Mate, we don't need the credit. We don't need any of it. You know, if we can get some money for you to do it, it's all about getting guys and girls together because that's what we can do on the ground now. Absolutely. And reach out if you've got some fundraising ideas for us as well. This is all um, self-funded for Voice of a Veteran and the Connect um, events, for example. And we do have some individuals out there doing some physical things, um, yeah, raising some mates. monies. Yeah. Exactly. So thank you to everybody who's doing those and picking those up. But if you've got other ideas, reach out, let us know. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Turn on the bell. God damn it. So many people don't know about if you're following us on, on us on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, there's specific, you know, notifications that you can turn on when specific posts come on. So it's important that, yeah, that you get on there and you hit the bell and you'll see choices come down. You go, oh, do I want to do I want to get a notification for a post, a story, all of their content? You can pick. Jeez. Right, we and for a, those, yeah, we need a tutorial, Scott. Oh, absolutely. So, whatever medium you're listening to, whatever platform you love, stick to that. But get in there and click on the notifications. Give us a like and a follow, and uh, share the shit out of any content that you like, so we can talk to more people. Do it. Voiceofaveteran.org is our central platform. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Likewise, Bye. good to be back. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. We really hope that there were some key takeaways that might help you, be they relatable, be they aspirational, but we're not just here for your entertainment, so please make sure you remember, move on and action from here. And that's it, guys. If you've heard something here today that has truly helped you, it's our duty to share that information with as many as we can. Support is about being proactive, and that's taking action to better our own lives as well as the lives of as many mates as we can. We love your support getting these messages out, so please subscribe. Go to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Voice of a Veteran. Catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening, and just a reminder, you can actually catch the full video for this particular podcast episode at the Voice of a Veteran YouTube account. Check it out if you're a visual learner like myself or just want to have a few good laughs watching us put this together. The link should be posted below.